Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Hoping you all had a lovely, lovely weekend and certainly listening and looking at the weather forecast uh, certainly is very, very wintry out there today and it's beginning to look and feel a lot like Christmas and I don't know if you were out and about at the weekend. There certainly seems to be a buzz about the place. A lot of people uh, out and about and of course the switching on of the Christmas lights happened in Cork City yesterday and there is a wonderful photograph on the front page of the Irish Examiner of young Un Dixon from Rathcormac catching snowflakes as the switching on of the Christmas lights in Patrick Street in Cork yesterday obviously fake snowflakes but it's just a delightful photograph and I'm assuming she's on the shoulders of her dad it's it's just glorious and what a lovely photograph for little Una Dixon to have you know later on when she grows up I made the front page of the paper it, it really really is uh, lovely and it was uh, as I say a bitterly bitterly cold night and for the majority of people who turned out and there seemed to be a huge number turned out to watch the switching on of the lights uh, yesterday uh, the, the vast majority of them went home hopefully to their warm houses and their warm beds but of course last night with the temperatures g- expected to go as low as minus four degrees and there was a status yellow cold weather warning overnight for Cork with that widespread frost and uh, fair dues to the Cork Simon community they said on nights like that when they get advanced warning of how cold it was going to be they pulled out all of the stops to make sure that everyone, there was room for everyone and and please God that's what happened there was a bed for everybody uh, last night with winter having set in, homeless charities now are warning of the worst crisis in living memory in the run-up to Christmas and the danger is if we get the cold spell early. Sometimes we've been lucky the last couple of years we've sort of escaped cold weather in the run-up to Christmas and we've had people talk about a mild Christmas and I remember last year people were saying it was so mild there wasn't a Christmas feel there and others were saying don't be given out it's better that we don't have it very very cold and you would worry on the 17th of November for yesterday when we hit temperatures you know down to minus four degrees if we get a prolonged cold snap like that it is going to put a huge amount of pressure on the homeless charities and there are now more than 4,000 children homeless nationwide and uh, Focus Ireland they are just launching their Christmas campaign and they are highlighting the fact of the number of children who are homeless this year and Focus Ireland say the worrying thing about how systemic homelessness is becoming is that we're now seeing babies born into homelessness over 140 babies 
of homeless families that Focus Ireland are supporting and that's just who Focus Ireland is supporting were born into homelessness so when they were born when their mum went to the local maternity hospital if she was asked where do you live she was giving emergency accommodation either a hotel or a, a B&B and Focus Ireland say it's terrible to think that a few weeks before Christmas which is such a special time for children and babies to think that they will be for many of them spending their first Christmas in cramped unsuitable emergency accommodation actually Focus Ireland and this is, I suppose it's, it's not a surprise when you see that there are 4,000 children in emergency accommodation and the fact that there's this increase in babies born into homeless accommodation they're now seeing babies babies who are, are unable to crawl as the living conditions are stunting their growth and their development and if you've got a little family you know maybe it's not the first child they might have maybe one or two other children and they're all inside in a hotel room and when we go to visit a hotel and you go and you spend a night and sure you're, all you're doing is sleeping in there but we've all stayed in hotel rooms that have been pretty small and you're glad all you're doing is sleeping there for one or two nights and then getting you know getting out of there you imagine trying to raise a baby and a little toddler who's just trying to crawl or before the toddling stage trying to crawl. There's just no room at all when you've got all your worldly possessions with you. So on top of there not being a lot of floor space, what's floor space there is, is taken up with suitcases or bags or the other bits and bobs that you have to bring with you. It really, really is shocking. And I know last week there was some talk of trying to end this homeless people who are accessing homeless accommodation that they have to move from hotel and B&B and they have to move from accommodation night after night after night. So that means packing up. They've got to be out of what's usually you've got to be out of a hotel room at 12 o'clock, 11 o'clock in some cases. And then you can't access a hotel room again, maybe until four in the afternoon for some of the hotels. It's just in on cold days like this. Imagine gathering up all your stuff and, and moving off again. But it really... Uh, it's not going to be the brightest of Christmases for sure for many families, not just here in Cork, but in, indeed all over this country as the government and the local authorities try to battle to get to grips with our homeless crisis. But we don't seem to be getting anywhere very fast with it, that's for sure. Now, coming up on the programme this morning, I'm looking forward to this at about 20 past 11 or thereabouts. The wonderful Dana is going to be joining us on the programme. A little bit of lightness to get away from that, how depressing the homeless crisis can be. And we've invited Dana to join us on the programme because she has gone back into the studio and she has released a new album. I don't know how many years it's been since she's been back in a studio, but it's been a long time since she's brought out a full uh, album. And we're also remembering the fact that it will be in 2020, It'll be 50 years since Dana won the Eurovision Song Contest. And of course, at the time, she was winning it for the first time ever, winning it for Ireland. And there was huge excitement. And even though for anyone, obviously, under the age of 50 or anybody in their early 50s, they have no recollection at all of Dana sitting up on a little stool in a little white mini dress uh, singing. She was a young 17-year-old from Derry, singing her heart out and winning for Ireland. But yet there were very few people in this country who don't know the song All Kinds of uh, Everything. And it's just one of those songs that you can't help but smile when you hear as well. It's one of those delightful little ditties of a song. that She was a very, very worthy winner. And of course, that then started for her a whole career in music. It's supposed to change the direction of her life. So she's going to join us on the programme to talk about that, to talk about her memories of 50 years ago. And also, of course, she dipped her toe into 
politics. She had two attempts to become president of Ireland and then she did have a successful turn as a, an MEP. I don't know how she feels about the whole world of politics and has she any regrets over that. But she's decided to go back in and she's still singing, bearing in mind that she was somebody who, I think it was back in the 80s, was it? They thought she would never sing again because she had some kind of a growth on one of her vocal cords and she had to have major surgery and for, for a number of years she wasn't able to sing but she came back out fighting anyway and she's doing well, the fact that she's brought out another album. So anyone who has a question, by the way, for Dan Anna, feel free to get it into us and uh, I'll put it to her. As I say, she'll join us between 11 and 12 today, but I'll put any questions that you have to Dana on the programme today. Now, last Friday, we had a massive reaction to the proposal by Independent Doll Deputy for Kerry, Danny Healy Ray. Danny Healy Ray was suggesting that we could issue some kind of licences or some kind of permits to people who were living in rural areas that would allow them to have it was a couple of pints was what he said. The idea being the people who are living in very rural areas that they could go to the local pub. They're, it's too far for them to walk and they live, they're very isolated. And there was a time when we had more relaxed drink driving rules in this country where somebody could head down to the pub and they'd have a couple of pints and they might have two little shots of whiskey and they'd meet up with their friends, they might have a game of cards and then they'd hop back in the car and they'd drive home again. People who I have to say in the main never caused any accidents but with very strict drink driving laws and particularly with a lot of focus on the guardy bagging people the morning after if you've been out and you've had a lot to drink the night before and you can lose and now if you get caught drink driving for th- you instantly lose your licence for three months that has made people very very fearful and if you're in a very rural area and you have your car and you need your car to get to work or if you're a pensioner you need the car to get down to the to the post office every Friday to pick up your pension you know you can't do without your car so for people like that they're not going to take any kind of risks at all and what has it led to it's led to people not going to the pub and as we heard on Friday a number of people saying well you don't you don't have to just go to the pub there's other things you can do everything doesn't have to revolve around uh, alcohol you can go to the pub and play cards and just have a soft drink or you can go to the local town or the local village you can go to the pictures you can go see some amateur drama see a local play lots of other things you can do it doesn't always revolve around drink but I suppose for a cohort of older people who got into that that was their social scene was to go to the pub and have their few pints for those it has led to rural isolation so Danny Healy Ray's idea was that they'd be given these permits I mean even to think about it it's just totally unworkable how you could even bring it in and how would you rule how much is enough for one and that might be way over the limit for another so it's it's a in a way, his heart's in the right place, but I think it was a nuts, absolutely ludicrous suggestion. But the one thing that it did highlight and the one thing that we got in from a lot of our listeners was the fact that we don't have an efficient rural transport scheme. And rather than kind of shoot the messenger with Danny Healy Ray, why not look at the problems? What's stopping that elderly man who lives down a Boreen? Or what's stopping that younger farmer who lives down a Boreen? What's stopping them coming out on the weekend? And if that's what takes their fancy, that they want to go to the pub and spend time with their peers, 
what's stopping them? And what's stopping them in the main is if they can't, they're not going to drink and drive. It's public transport. There isn't rural public transport for them. Okay, there are taxis in some areas, not all areas, but that can make it very expensive. So if we had an efficient, affordable rural transport scheme, then we wouldn't be having this discussion. We wouldn't be talking about rural isolation because there would be buses available if not every night of the week, certainly on the weekend nights to take people to and from whatever social event they went to. And it's not just about the men, it's about the women uh, as well. So we're going to speak with Irish Rural Link on the programme today, pushing forward that case for why we need better rural transport. Sunday Mass, if you went to Mass yesterday, did you notice falling numbers? I think is it whenever you talk to people who are regular mass uh, goers. Also, did you take a look at the priest on the altar? Was he an older priest because we have unfortunately our population of priests are getting older. Many of them by the way bless their hearts should have retired years ago and they have no hope of retiring because if they retire they know that the parish they're in is not going to have a priest. We now have priests who are literally legging it going from church to church to say Mass on a Sunday. They'll do a eight o'clock mass in one church and then they're into the car and they're off to the next parish and they might be doing 10 o'clock in the next parish. They might also then have to go a couple of miles down the road and do the 11 o'clock mass and end up doing a half 12 mass somewhere else. Some of them are really, really working flat out. So are we getting to the stage where if you are a practising Catholic and you like to go to your little local parish church, will people just have to wake up and realise we are coming very close to the day where every single church in this country is no longer going to have a priest. Now, there is the argument as well that we do we have too many churches because churches were built in a time where roads weren't as good, where people didn't have cars. I know I saw one of the bishops who is reducing the bishop in Ossery, he is reducing the number of masses in all of his parishes, in his diocese. And he says one of the reasons for it is that we have better roads now. And he also makes the point that nearly everyone has access to transport on a Sunday morning. So rather than going to your local church, you'll have to have a bit of a drive and go to the next town or village because that's where they're going to centralise it and that's where all the masses are, are going to be. And added to that, something that we heard in recent weeks, we're also getting very close in the Catholic Church, is getting very close to where Matt, where the traditional priest marrying you and baptising your children, that again could be a, a thing of the past. And I think the one with having a baptism in your local church could be a problem for some people in that how often have I been at a baptism where I've heard family members say this was the church where I was baptised where my father was baptised and where my grandfather was baptised that could be a thing of the past if again we're going to be centralising all of the priests there may not be Every single church may not be able to offer baptism because they're simply not going to have enough priests to do it. So we're going to be discussing that on the programme today. And it is Monday, so that means that Annalise Drissell of the Health Hub Times Square in Ballincollig will join us. And Annalise, as always, will answer all of your nutritional questions. story over the weekend that when I heard it initially uh, really annoyed me. Now, I calmed down a little bit about it when I looked into it more, but it was the story that broke on the weekend that the Department of the Defence is withdrawing the Athlone Bay 
based air ambulance operated by the Air Corps and they're going to do it for four days a month for the next four months so that's it'll be withdrawn for 16 days to the end of February and it's due to training and staff shortages and that in itself story was saying oh that's awful but the backup and the support instead is going to come from the Irish Community Rapid Response. This is the air ambulance that is based here, uh, that is based in North Cork. That is going to the temporarily be based in Roscommon for four days a month to provide the cover when the Air Corps helicopter ambulance will not be available. Now, it's the when I initially heard the story, it looked like it was the community air ambulance was going to be gone. And that infuriated me because the community air ambulance is fundraised and supported by us here in the South. And we've waited a long, long time to have that air ambulance here in the South. And all of the money has been raised here in the South. So that kind of annoyed me that I was saying, so for four days a month, what happens if somebody here in the South becomes sick? Oh, sorry, the air ambulance is up in Athlone. Nothing we can do for you. Now, when I looked into it more, it is the backup helicopter is the one that's going to be going to Roscommon. But I still have to say, it's still leading a li- still leaving a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth. And it's not that I don't want people in other parts of the country, if they're in need of an air ambulance and they should have an air ambulance based locally. But for how many years did we have to survive here in the South with no air ambulance near us? And suddenly we have one and suddenly we have a backup one. And the backup one, by the way, came into use in September. And it's there while the main helicopter was undergoing routine servicing. It's going to remain at the air base as a backup aircraft as is normal for an ambulance service. So we are slightly diluting our service for the four days in which that backup ambulance has to go up to Roscommon instead. And just, and it is important to point this out because the media coverage certainly over the weekend, made it look like the air ambulance, the full air ambulance, was going to be relocating to Roscommon for those four days. And that is uh, incorrect. And I see the Irish Community Rapid Response issued a statement saying that the air ambulance service is not moving from Cork to Roscommon. The existing HEMS service, which is the Helicopter Emergency Medical Service based in Rathcool, will continue to operate full time as is no change to that. However, what is happening is that the second backup helicopter leased by the Irish Community Rapid Response is in addition going to work in Roscommon four days a month to support continuity of the Air Corps operated services there. And as I say, you know, that in itself is fine. But it just sticks in my craw that here is the service that we here in the South have had to fundraise for and will continue to fundraise for because remember... This service costs two million euro a year to keep those helicopters in the sky. And all of that has to be fundraised locally, whereas the Air Corps one is funded and paid for by the taxpayer via the government. So it's just I hope that there is money involved in this. I hope there's some form of payment involved in this for the Irish Community Rapid Response. I couldn't get any details on that, but as I say, just irked me slightly. I don't know if it upset other people or not. Let me know if it did, or is it just me being cantankerous in my old age? 1850 333 John Paul taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. 
Egg Foilamak, Quintananiha is Farlin. Shaw eight thrower C one oh three air Kirkig. Hongerha in Akla Moichroma. Shan Kershi Sabiagan Irish Times Air, Nogrifsha Kosulishna Florida Everglades. Achgan and Hrogel. Awen Imid and Hiel Holesh. Agas Koller, Kishkwil Irid Ek Sulhdowner Hagan Shahigan Vihula. Agasna Plan Lee Rosnam. Hoshulod Fele, Shehil Mather Aun. Agas is counter E and will all of the Nodurha den Gietzko Lefeshkind. And here the relic will air or to a tastal wet Teroyas Ovochroma. Hofada Lesham Moyerha. Nocta, quid denaneha is Fari Gorkik, C103. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now, we had a big reaction last Friday to the proposal by the Kerry TD, Deputy Danny Healy Ray, to introduce drink driving permits for those living in rural areas. Many people said it's not drink driving permits we need, but better rural transport. CEO of Irish Rural Link, Seamus Boland, is also raising that same suggestion and uh, he joins me. Good morning to you, Seamus. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, Seamus, firstly, what was your reaction to Deputy Danny Healy-Ray's proposal? Yeah, well, my reaction is the same reaction as Irish Rural Link would always have. There are two debates here going on and they're conflated and we shouldn't conflate them. First, there's the debate about the closure of pubs the uh, reduction of services in rural areas generally, post offices, etc. And there is a debate about safety in rural roads. And just to get that one sorted, the, the rural roads is on is the highest statistic of people killed on roads in Ireland are on rural roads. Most of the people and families, and I'm thinking of families listening to you this morning, who have lost loved ones are unfortunately from rural families and our thoughts are with them as as well. Uh, so we cannot really reduce uh, road safety measures for any reason, uh, never mind keeping pubs open. So we just have to separate that and make sure that those laws remain the way they are. But we do have a lot to say about the provision of transport, with, about the, uh, the need to create villages and towns which are more accessible, have, uh, have even tax breaks where necessary in order to, to get them going. And that's where the debate should be. Yeah, I mean, he's right about the whole problem of rural isolation when he spoke about rural isolation. He's absolutely right. There's a writer called Michael Harding who has uh, written recently that sometimes the beginning of the winter uh, is uh, a time when men, and and he mentioned men in particular, spend the next four months in seclusion uh, and don't come out at all. And one of the reasons they don't come out is they can't drive or they have no way of finding transport and the pub, uh, because of the drinking and all the rest, is not worth it. Uh, Loneliness is uh, finding the old Midland or the old uh, Southern uh, Midland Southern Health Board uh, came up with a finding some years ago where loneliness among people living in a rural isolation is one of the biggest killers. Uh, so we're not tackling that from a health perspective and we're not providing the transport to tackle that as well. Would it be very costly to put in a proper rural transport? No. Uh, we, we're saying all along for the start, we have the foundations there already through local link programs. Yeah, uh, and we, where they're working, they are really uh, successful. They are brilliant, and and they should be commended. And our sure link would have been supporting those for a long, long time. Indeed, uh, indeed, uh, fought for them back in the, in the early days. 
and still do. Uh, but you, you you also have to use those to come up with other ideas. Now, there has been uh, floating ideas about uh, Alan Kelly, a former minister, uh, had an idea that you could have uh, under people who are, let's say, underemployed in, in rural areas like farmers, etc., might wish to allow their car be used for, for rides or lifts, etc. There would be a, an insurance uh, advantage and there would be other, and it would be quite a cheap. It'd be, and the other one is Uber, kind of an Uber. Oh, yeah, a, an Uber for rural areas. Exactly. A yeah. Uber, as somebody said, Uber. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, that, uh, but it's never taken yeah. off. It, and that's my argument. Uh, we would we've called consistently that Minister Ross has had on several occasions the opportunity to bring either of those programs to fruition. It's actually not a massive budget problem, but it is an organisational problem at local level, local authority level, uh, and he could do that if he'd simply introduced the willingness, the, the legislation, and, and yes, there is a budget required, but nothing like the kind of budget needed for some of the bigger transport uh, items that he has to deal with every day. And and it's this political unwillingness that really is more uh, annoys me, and that's why while I, I take Jackie Healy point. Uh, I wish he would really concentrate in forcing government to introduce a much more comprehensive transport system rather than blame the drink driving laws. Yeah, I know when we had calls coming in on Friday about, and you know, was kicked off by Danny Healy Ray's suggestions, uh, Seamus, but the number of people who felt, and they named, they did say, uh, Shane Ross, and Dublin TDs and Dublin-based yeah. civil servants, as, as if they're out of touch with us in rural Ireland? They're completely out of touch in that regard. And here, look, again, I keep reminding these people that rural Ireland, you know, it, it solved the water system by by introducing uh, water schemes, the rural electricity. Rural Ireland can solve this. They don't need barriers in the way. And the barriers put in our way at the moment are things like insurance, are things like all sorts of regulations around, you know, the driving permits, etc. We are simply saying either ask the local link group to come up with ideas on how they would manage it, or ask rural communities themselves to come up with it, and even ask the pub owners, because again, some of these pubs are, and village shops, you know, they're on working on very low margins. There's, mm-hmm. there's not much of a difference. A little bit of help in terms of tax exemptions, a little bit of help in taking the VRT off vehicles and making them available to the community or even a little bit of help in saying to uh, an underemployed farmer or person living in a rural area who has access to a car, look, you could bring people in for a fee. Sometimes the the, the fee that you can collect through the social welfare because they're entitled to free transport. You know, there's ways and means. Let the local community resolve it themselves and, and you'd be amazed at the take-up. But the, I'm afraid they are right. Um, our our friends, our TD friends and, and minister from the Dublin region don't get the rural situation. Yeah, and it isn't exactly rocket science, but they just need to be a bit more creative and think a little bit outside the box. Absolutely. 
absolutely and like some of the solutions are already being they're nothing new as I said the Alan Kelly solution is all still there uh, someone else was a Jim Daly come up yeah. with the Uber thing uh, the local link have ideas as well so the ideas are on the table Okay Alright Seamus listen we leave it there thank you for that and uh, thanks uh, for joining us this morning Alright Good morning to you Bye bye that is Seamus Boland who is CEO of Irish Rural uh, Link as always when we're discussing issues like this particularly about getting people to and from the pubs you'll have people saying why is it all about drink Katrina and Mallow said if those living in rural areas don't have to go to the pub why do those living in towns always feel they have to go to, go to the pub you recently had discussions on Good Friday and the fact that the pubs are now open and talk could the pubs open on Christmas Day why can't those in urban areas go to people's houses or go do something else besides going to a pub. Surely people can find other things to do. By the way, says Katrina, I've never agreed with the Good Friday opening and I would go so far as to say I would like them to reverse it. It is a shame that we constantly feel the only thing that we have to do is to go to a pub. There are lots more things to do. And of course we know, thank you for that uh, Catherine and Katrina. And we know of course how many people get end up getting addicted to alcohol and the kind of lives that they lead and how lives can be destroyed with addiction to alcohol. With that in mind I've spotted up on my screen there's a fundraising dance on tonight for Sister Concilio's Treatment Centre, the wonderful Sister Concilio and the great work that she and her team do in Brewery. The dance will start at nine. It's on in the Charlotte Park Hotel and all are welcome. The C103 Cork Diary is a free service to help non-profit organisations all over Cork. So, if you're a community group or a charity that's holding a fundraising event or meeting, send us the details at least one week in advance and we'll tell Cork all about it. Email info at c103.ie. The Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses. Supporting communities. Serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103. Now last week the Bishop of Ossory announced that masses in his diocese will reduce from 140 to 92 from the start of December. Further evidence that Ireland is facing a mass crisis as parishes across the country face having services cut because of the decline in the number of priests taking up vocations. Joining me uh, with his views from the Association of Catholic Priests is uh, Father Roy Donovan. Good morning to you, Father Roy. And good morning to you, Patricia. Uh, and you, you are very welcome uh, to the programme. Do you believe that weekly Sunday Mass will become a thing of the past in some churches? Uh, obviously, um, the Bishop there of Ossery, Dermot Farrell, is uh, a realist and that uh, declining numbers of people and declining numbers of priests um, has done and made the decisions that they have made there. I think they're cutting back on 42 masses over a weekend. So it's that's, a lot of ma- that's a lot of masses. It is. It's an enormous uh, on the 1st of December. So that's a lot of adju- adjusting going on to um, the way things are going. Um, however, um, I suppose my wish would be that no church, um, uh, well, well, I suppose masses have to be reduced, but this probably leads to closing of churches as well. That's down along the line. That's what's happened in other countries abroad where 
you reduce masses and then there'll be some churches where there won't be any mass anymore. So some churches will need to be closed down with that kind of trend. And that's a very um, dire situation. I, I, I suppose I would I would contend that we're not creating what they call Vatican II uh, parishes. Uh, Vatican II parishes were never are parishes where the priest is not the centre, where the people are the centre, and where you've got a leadership team, and where the parish is run by people, and the priest is only one member of that overall uh, team. I think we have failed to create um, Vatican II parishes, because if we created Vatican II parishes, um, there would be no need to close down churches down along the line. And I also think that... Um, uh, what? Make... Sorry, Vatican II. That was in 1962, wasn't it? Vatican II happened? Yeah, that's correct. So, yes, so yeah. what, why, why has it not happened? Because we've had so many priests and all the ministries were all um, given to the priests where he took over everything. Uh, whilst the Vatican II parishes, you have a huge spread of ministries uh, where you've got consensus, where you've got um, the parish leadership team making joint decisions, and where they're responding to concrete needs within the uh, parish and the world that they're part of. Um, we've, condu- we've continued an old system where the parish priest is number one and where he is the boss. And uh, you know that in, under canon law, uh, parish councils at the moment can't make any decisions that the priest has to find. They can only give advice. And the priest, the priest has the final way, yeah. I mean, I, I was listening to to Bishop Dermot Farrell. He made the point that the churches were built in a different era where we had very poor roads and not everyone had transport. And he made the point that everyone has access to a car now uh, on a Sunday. Do we simply have too many churches? The other angle there is that we need to build communities and if you have a community, already they have the, many of those communities, you know, they've lost the Garda station, they've lost the post office, and if they lose the church, what kind of identity for a community is left? So I would argue, again, if you had a Vatican II parish, that means you have a live community, and the community could keep the church going and keep it alive. Mm. Now, the church would need to respond in new ways. You'd need to um, have people who will do masses. You know, maybe you don't want to call them priests, but you need to give them full power where you've got a team of people who would take over doing the Sunday Mass. There would be need for something new like that. Do you, do you worry that young people aren't going to, to church? How do we, And how do we attract them to Mass? Um, yes, um, I, I, I suppose we have been we have a, what we call a sacramental system where we're used to everybody coming to the sacraments and we just you know give out the sacraments and that's gone and because uh, a lot of sacraments have little or no meaning for a lot of people maybe and um they don't see the need for let's say coming together for Sunday mass and um that that trend of not coming to Sunday Mass is increasing. It's only for events where you have people gather now to a large extent. Um, and if we lose that kind of uh, habit of the Sunday Mass, again, what's going to keep our community going? And um, some people would argue it's not about bringing young people back into Sunday Mass. It's about meeting young people where they're at. And That's a good point. Con- yeah, and meeting them. Um, wherever they are in the world and um, 
having a rapport with them, relating with them, and mm. then seeing what might might emerge uh, from those kind of conversations. That's what some people would argue, you know. Yeah, because I even saw yeah. your association last month, you know, warning about the sacraments, things like baptism and marriages are likely to disappear from, from some parishes. Uh, and uh, that saddened me because people like the idea of, Christ- particularly when it comes to christening, christening their child in a church where perhaps they were baptised or their parents were baptised. And it's a family tradition of using that baptismal font. Yeah, we we need rituals. We're, we're, we're humans, and um, we, we need ceremonies. We need, um, and if those go, what do you replace them with? And if you don't replace them, there's a lot of emptiness, I would say, or um, a lot of uh, losing identity. You know, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think um, uh, still there are a lot of people coming. I find there's still an enormous amount of people coming for baptisms. You know, there's mm. still there, you know, and obviously First Communion and Confirmation. Probably the churches are packed for that. Are they which? Sorry. I said the churches are crowded for those ceremonies. They are, yes, yes. You know, there are rituals again, okay, they, um, there's a good bit of preparation done for them and, you know, we, we try to make extra efforts to build up rapport with everyone involved. So, to offer them good experiences, uh, we do that, you know. And um, okay. and it's to get people again, to go again, in between. I mean, I mean, the message of the gospel is to good news, and that we we use every occasion that we have to make it a good news experience for people. Um, so, yeah, it, it does a lot. Uh, Pope Francis himself, of course, has said that it's not uh, an era of change; it's the end of an era. So there's something dying at the moment. All the old models and ways of operating in the church are dying and when you're in the middle of that it's hard to you know you can get lost or chaos and uh, to find the new beginnings and find new ways of going about things and obviously there are not going to be priests there in the future not male celebrate priests anyway they're not going to be part of but of the church Vatican too did say again that everybody by their baptism um, belongs to a community and Vatican II wanted to encourage everyone who belongs to the community, you know, to take ownership of that community and have um, and and to avail of that community to respond to the needs of people, you know, to be practical. Okay, and hopefully the hierarchy are listening uh, to you, Roy. Listen, we leave it there. Thank you for that, and thanks for joining us on the program. Okay. You're Good welcome. morning okay. to you. That is from the Association of Catholic Priests, Father Roy Donovan. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Can I say hi to James Condon, who emails us from Faro in Portugal, where he's listening to the programme. Uh, he had lived in Mallow for many years, but now he's in sunnier climes. And good to have you still listening to the programme, uh, James. And thank you for your kind thoughts. Now, some of your calls in. Firstly, there's uh, two both sides of the county. People talking about road works. Ian was on to say that the new bypass works in Clonakilty. Ian feels they've left the start of the bypass as you enter Clonakilty from the Bandon side. He reckons it's been left very bare, particularly around the new primary health care centre. Have others noticed this? Would others agree with Ian? And Ian is wondering, are there any plans for this area, for example? Are they planning to 
plant maybe some flowers, some shrubs, some trees, whatever. He feels the area needs to be diggied up a little bit and it's looking very bare. Do others agree? That's the bypasses. You enter Clonakilty from the Bandon uh, side. And then John was on from Clonakilty. We go to Mallow. John was on to say the driving conditions at Mallow Bridge, John feels, are getting worse since the contractors drug dug a trench across the road near the Park Road in Mallow. The trench now has dipped from all of the traffic going over it and he feels it's very dangerous for drivers and pedestrians and if others dri- have other drivers and pedestrians noticed it and I'm wondering has it got to do with the fact that the contractors are not finished yet? Is it something they are going to get to? They'll finish it off and it's just hasn't been done yet. Anyway, if anybody else has noticed that, uh, your thoughts and comments welcomed, please. Now, something that we did last week, and I promised that I would give a mention to it this week, is a free talk by Solicitor Floor McCarthy. It's going to be held at Dara Community Centre, and it's on tomorrow night, Wednesday at eight o'clock. It's a talk entitled you can't take it with you. And the topics will include things like writing your will, what happens should you lose your compass mentis status, look at things like assisted decision making, power of attorney, future of your estate, succession uh, planning. And it promises to be the makings of a superb community advice evening and it's on tomorrow night and it's one of those events that are free and I know when we spoke with Flora McCarthy on the programme in advance of that last week on the programme we certainly had a lot of people who had questions and queries to do with the making and writing of a will and what you can and can't do and what you should and shouldn't do rather than what you can and can't do so if you want to go along to that it's tomorrow night 8 o'clock in Dara Community Centre and Barry in Bantry was on to us to say he has a farm policy, an insurance policy. It covers his farm, it covers his home and it covers the tractor insurance on the farm. Now he said the one sticking point was they weren't able to give him flood insurance. But he said that's fine, he's never had a flood, he's not really worried about floods so he was willing to go along and yeah I'll take that insurance policy. And then he said could he have everything sent out to him in the post and they said no, it's all done now via email. So his wife has an email account and they are moving and they're pushing more and more towards that where they won't send you anything in the post everything is done by email. So anyway, he got the email and he was looking down through it. He said it's 32 pages long. Oh God, the devil is in the detail on those insurance policies, uh, isn't it? it? So he got back onto them and said, look, could you just send me a one-page letter, itemised page, just showing me what is covered and how much How much was the cover for the farm? How much was the cover for my home? And how much was the cover for my tractor? And they said, no, no can do. You get one figure and that's it. So it's an overall figure that covers everything. Whereas he would have preferred a breakdown. As he said, it was the way it was in the past, but that's the way they're doing things now. And he certainly isn't happy with it. I certainly would be reading down through the 32 pages long and you'd nearly need a solicitor sitting beside you. But the devil is in the detail and we're all told to do that, to read the small print. And how many of us read the small print very very few of us but it's yeah, it's just the way things are going and this whole thing about using an email that's fine if you're in an area where you have decent broadband and you're able to get you're able to receive the email and send an email actually they're talking about the national broadband being signed off tomorrow. We'll keep a close eye on that on the Royal Broadband Scheme because that's there's about half a million people in this country waiting on that rural, rural broadband scheme. Now, some more of your thoughts coming in. We were talking about the church 
in the last hour. Norma says, I feel the reality is it's time to close churches, particularly in areas of low population. Everyone is going to have to travel into their nearest town or village for Mass. Yes, I know, says Norma, it goes against the whole thing of rural Ireland and keeping rural Ireland going and it's also going to increase our carbon footprint but that's the way it that's the way it is at the moment. We don't have enough priests. That's the reality. Everyone's going to have to just sort of wake up to it and realise if you want to go to Mass then what you're going to have to do is go to your nearest village. Tim says traditionally priests could only say and I didn't know this two masses on any one day except on Christmas Day they had a special dispensation when they were allowed to say three masses but one one would be enough surely for any priest particularly on that of all days until recently at Cloyne Parish had three priests for four churches all a few miles apart now there is says Tim I think only one priest to cover all of those four churches. Every church should have at least one Mass at the weekend. One Mass from 6pm on Saturday evening to 8pm on Sunday. The priest's spokesperson who we spoke with, that was Father Roy Donovan from the Irish Catholic Association of Priests, touched on the old legal responsibilities of a parish. That would be the parish, that would be the graveyard, sometimes the school, the hall, and that makes mergers rather difficult, says Tim. Yeah, and going forward it would if they decided to close a church and there was a notion that it would merge in some way. There could be, you're right, there could be a lot of legal implications for it, for sure. Thank you for your text, Tim, to 0862-103-103. Now, some of your calls in on... Danny Healy Ray and what we spoke about last Friday but it came up again when we spoke with Irish Rural Link and the whole thing about what do we do with um, transport trying to get people from A to B. Somebody first here on the Healy Rays Pat says I wish we had the Healy Rays here in our constituency I'd love to be able to vote for them says Pat I'm in the Lombardstown area we could do with more uh, Healy Rays why not provide, this is another text that says, why not provide publicans with a mini a grant to buy a minibus? There was a lady in the North Cork area a number of years ago did just that. She bought a small minibus and then she used to value her customers and what she would do. She would drop them home at closing time. It might even create employment. Well, I suppose a little bit what we spoke about with Irish Rural Link, that's what they're saying. They're saying put minibuses into areas. So, and of course it would generate employment but as somebody said none of those minibuses none of those bus services are ever going to make money but I think the whole idea of rural transport it's never about making money it's always going to be about it's 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 for the area it's not about making money it's not a commercial decision and that's where there's a cost involved in it and I think that's where we all seem to uh, that's where we seem to fall down on this when we tried to get the lads and lassies in Dublin to take a look at it as soon as it's not going to be able to make money they're going to walk away from it and on drink driving Owen says Patricia everybody handles alcohol differently there should be a field sobriety test before any breath test is taken, says Owen. Now, I don't quite know what you mean by a field sobriety test, but I'm assuming this is walking a straight line. Is it? Are they, is that the type of thing that you're recommending people do? And if you don't pass that, then... But you are right. Everybody handles alcohol uh, very, very diff- differently, for sure. OK, also in on... Let me see. Let me stay with... Um, let me stay with Hi Patricia what your speaker was saying about our roads in rural areas we are always left on the long finger oh, the, this is Seamus Boland talking about urban and rural we are it's always about Dublin 
we have to as voters do something about it and get people in the doll that represent all of the people of the country just take Shane Ross for example he has no idea what it is like why? because he doesn't drive or drink now and he has the availability of transport to choose from so he is nothing doesn't you know he doesn't have to worry about anything basically says Heidi who also says I agree with you getting a bit peeved about the community air ambulance issue and I'm glad that it wasn't just me on the air ambulance and a couple of people actually when I mentioned the air ambulance and saying you know that's funded here by us in the South and I don't in any way want to take from the good people of the rest of the country and if they need help and they need a bit of a dig out for four days uh, a week but we fought long and hard to get a community air ambulance and a lot of money had to be collected locally and will continue to be collected locally to keep that service up and running and as somebody said what happens to the good people of Cork and Kerry when the second air ambulance if we needed the second air ambulance if that's up along the border responding to emergency uh, what happens if somebody needs it in uh, Cork or Kerry Uh, so a, a number of people are making a similar point saying what would happen if we didn't have that second ambulance what would happen then would they still leave the the Athlone, the Roscommon one? Would they still leave that one? Go for four days of the month without an ambulance? It's just, it's because they've decided that for four days of the month, the the air ambulance run by the Defence Forces because they're going to step down for four days of every month between November and uh, February. The Department of the Defence has agreed to it and because of that then our backup ambulance instead is is going there. Um, okay, Michael O'Sullivan in Castletown Bear says, Patricia, to the best of my knowledge, the second air ambulance is used as a backup for hospital transfers and essentials and as well as backup to the main chopper. Have no doubt she will be well paid for, for her days in Athlone. Okay, <laughs> just as long as that doesn't come out of fundraise money from the south. It will also allow, oh this is a good point for Michael, it will also allow the people in that region to see the advantage of this type of air ambulance in their area. Furthermore, it costs many thousands more to get a helicopter pilot's licence as of a fixed wing licence. Then when you get your licence, you have to get so many more hours as a co-pilot before you can get a job as a pilot. It's a very long process. Uh, thanking you, says uh, Michael. OK, but yeah, so I suppose Michael's point is if we send up our air community air ambulance that is Michael saying that people in that area might decide isn't this great isn't it great what people in the south have has done and maybe they'll start to do the same thing maybe but in the meantime you know that belongs to us here in the south I hate to be a bit grabbing onto it but it is it you know it is ours it is ours that we fought hard for and so much fundraising has gone into it and continues to go into it two million a year we're always trying to get people to support the air ambulance because we need to raise the money because if we don't raise the money we won't hang on to uh, that ambulance. And Stephen says Patricia I missed the show last Friday but I was aware of the date so belated congratulations on your 29th. Thank you for that. Also I got the start of the repeat while driving home last night and as always the drink driving topic got to me. I've never seen any of those two pint drinkers driving up and down a by, by road on their way home at night either cause or be involved in an accident and that's in 40 years of driving says Stephen so much for the proof of the pudding being in the eating rather in Simon Coveney's and Shane Ross's case the proof of the pudding is in rhetoric are there statistics on how many accidents have been caused by these drivers people driving in very rural areas driving home from the pub any statistics to say how many of them were involved in accidents 
how many of them were involved in fatal road accidents. I've yet to hear any of those statistics, says Stephen. The silence is deafening. There's no need for permits. Local Gardaí know the lie of the land and the people living there and well know who are the danger people and who are not. If Shane Ross, Simon Coveney and the Gardaí spend more time targeting dangerous drivers rather than the category of drivers... We'd have a lot more safety on our roads, says uh, Stephen in County Kerry. Thank you for that, Stephen. And I am always aware when we discuss drink driving and road fatalities, I am always aware of people listening who will have lost a loved one in a road fatality that was caused by drinking and driving. And let's not ever get away from that and let us not be complacent about drinking and driving and I'm also conscious the weekend we've just come out of was the weekend where we remembered road fatalities. Now not all of them of course were caused by somebody drink driving but we remembered you know the countless tens of hundreds of families who are without loved ones some some for the first Christmas, many for the last number of Christmases and for every Christmas to come they will be without their loved one because somebody decided to be irresponsible and get behind the wheel of a car with alcohol in them so let us never forget that 1850 John Paul taking your calls text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs With Hewitt College Now enrolling for Christmas Junior and Leaving Certificate Revision courses Your success is built on their experience See hewittcollege.ie An experienced hotel accountant is wanted That's for uh, the Clonakilty Park Hotel Part-time household staff are wanted That's for Maria Goretti Nursing Home That's in Kilmallock While a childminder is wanted in Whelan in Newmarket For school-going children aged 7 and 4 and a labourer is wanted for general groundwork that's in Cork City. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. A Cork band once asked, Where's me jumper? Now C103 is asking it too. Where's me Cork Simon Christmas jumper? Every year, thousands of people here in Cork get together to help fight homelessness by wearing a Christmas jumper to work, school or anywhere. Don't make a song and dance about it. Simply get your fundraising pack now at CorkSimon.ie. The Cork Simon Christmas Jumper Day. It's time to wear your jumper with C103. Now, it is very hard to believe that next year, 2020, will be the 50th anniversary of Dana winning the Eurovision Song Contest for the first time ever for Ireland. For her first time in many years, Dana has gone back to the studio where she joins me today to discuss, amongst other things, her new album called My Time. A very good morning to Dana, who joins us. Good morning to you. And it's great to hear you and and to chat with you. I mean, I I was taken aback when I realised it was 50 years next year to to, to your win. Do you remember it? But do you remember it like it was only yesterday in some ways? I do. I do remember it in great detail, Patricia. Because when I went there, I didn't think I had any hope of winning. I never thought about winning. I thought it'd be the last time I'd ever do anything like it. And so I wanted to remember all the details. So I, I do in great detail. And you were, I didn't realise this, you were up against some big names on the night. Yes. Well, Julio Iglesias (laughs) sang for Spain. Yeah. And went on to become a world star. 
And Mary Hopkin um, sang for England, uh, a lovely Welsh girl. And I was a big fan of hers. You know, I watched her on top of the pops and I, I loved her music. Those were the days. And yeah. she'd, uh, I think she had a string of hits there. But uh, to be standing next to her was kind of just unbelievable, Patricia. Yeah, this little Derry girl and, uh, yeah. and, and out you go. And then the, do you remember hearing the song for the first time? I do. Um, I'd sung in the National Song Contest the year before and Tom McGrath was head of light entertainment and at that time RTE picked their songs first and then they picked the singers and they'd normally have about eight songs I think. So most of the um, professional singers had already represented us and represented us very well but they were running out of um, professional singers so they opened it up to amateurs and semi-pros and I auditioned in fact I took a bus from Derry <laughs> Dublin uh, in my school uniform and I auditioned in Wynn's Hotel yeah. <laughs> and I was chosen to sing a song in, in, in 1969 called Look Around Now well, is, it, is it true is it true you secretly were hoping that you wouldn't win because of the nerves Oh I was petrified I was absolutely petrified and I I knew I could not, I couldn't hack it if I had to go to Eurovision. I knew I couldn't represent my country. I'd been in bits. So, yes. <laughs> so you I, came I second. I wouldn't win. I came second. Yeah. And um, and then I thought, well, I'm, I'm not having this for my career. <laughs> <laughs> I, I retired from any thoughts of wanting to be a singer that summer. And I was sitting my A-levels. So I wanted to be a teacher and piano and English literature. But Tom McGraw remembered me and he called me back just before Christmas of 1969. He said, we have a little song and he always called me Rosie Mary. Mm-hmm. I have a little song might suit you. Would you sing it? And I remember the first time I heard the song and it sounded to me like a little a folk song. And, and I'd been singing folk and I loved folk music. And that was the first, but I didn't hear it as a winning song. But then I didn't feel that I would be a winning singer, if you know what I mean. Yeah. But what is it about the song? I mean, even today, it, 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 I know it evokes memories for people, but I was even speaking with some of the, the younger people in, in, the, in the radio station about this song who wouldn't even, even have been born when, when uh, all kinds of everything came out. And every one of them know the song and know all the words. <laughs> I, I know. You know, it was written by two amateur writers they were compositors in the Dublin newspaper, Derry Lindsay and Jackie Smith. And they were amateur writers. I was an amateur singer. And I think it's, there's, there's a, a genuineness about the song. It's not like a manufactured song, Patricia. Yeah. And Did Phil Coulter have a hand in it as well? Because we had him on um, the week before last. Uh, and I know not, he's he's got a love of. Did he have a ha, ha, did he have a hand in? He, he in didn't arrange? write. He didn't write it. No, but arranging but, it. No. Uh, he yes. Yeah. Okay. He arranged. He had it arranged. Okay. And he was there in the studio when I went flew over. To, can you imagine me? I I I'd been to England because we'd relatives in England, but I was flown over to London to a, a studio in Bond Street. And all these incredible musicians to re-record all kinds of everything. And 
I, I, it just was like it was happening to somebody else, really, Patricia. I know, I know. It was, a, it was a wonderful experience, you know. Okay, and the fact we're talking about it, I can see so many people saying, you have to play it, you have to play it. And of course we will. Here's a little bit of Adana from, as, in, as I say, 50 years ago next year. And I promise you, I, we are going to focus on the new album, Dana. But just, to, just, just, on, do you when you when you perform? I mean, obviously, people still ask you to sing. Do you have you ever tired of singing it? Um, I did for a period, a long time ago, and I thought, well, that's that. I have to get away from singing that, you know. <laughs> so I would leave it out. I had so many complaints, Patricia. <laughs> I had so many complaints, and now. You know, it's not just the song, it's the association of the song. Mm. And people daily now would share with me where they were, who they were with, what was happening in their lives. And I love that. Yeah, yeah, I there is. That. And there's something, actually, when it was when I was talking to Phil Coulter a few weeks ago, we mentioned that there's something very special about music and bringing you back to a particular time in your life and a memory and a moment. Doesn't it? Yeah, it it, yeah. It, it it is fantastic. And then, of course, you win. And as you say, you should have been going back to do your A-levels and go on to your life as, as a teacher. But overnight, you become this pop sensation. How did you cope with all of that? You were a very young girl. Well, I think I was in shock, first of all, in deep shock. And then the realisation, I mean, I thought I could go back on the plane to Derry and go and sit my exams, because my, my instrument was the piano. I studied classical piano, didn't study the voice. And I thought I could go back. But that was soon, um, I soon realised that it was impossible because it's like we had like three, at least three um, European film crews sleeping on the landing outside our front door. <laughs> I couldn't get out of the flat. <laughs> And the school was surrounded, and we all know the tension there is when you're sitting O-levels or A-levels or mm. whatever it is. It was impossible for me to go back. And then I thought, oh, gosh, all, all those years I've, you know, I've worked. And and do you know what I missed most? I missed my friends. Because we, we saw each other at school every day. We used to meet up every Saturday. We'd go and sit in the, in the wee cafe in the town and watch everybody going by and chat and were you one of the original it. were you one of the original dairy girls that were you <laughs> that were getting so much fun watching on TV that was me yeah yes. yeah Actually, we, we, we just had a and they're still my friends today yeah a very close friendship and that's where I missed that terribly it was very lonely um so yeah it was it wasn't an easy time yeah 
But it was also a wonderful time. And of course, you went on to have incredible success. You recorded uh, around uh, 20 albums. Um, and then you had to have surgery on your vocal cords. That was a huge thing in the mid-70s, wasn't it, for you? There was, there was talk that you might never sing again. Yes. I, you know, I, I was loving my, my work so much. And the previous year, it had a little problem with my vocal cords. And I was referred to a consultant and he said, basically, I was born with a weakness in one of the cords and he would cauterize it and hopefully the cord would take over healing itself. So, you know, I was about three weeks, I couldn't speak. And then I bounced back. Actually, I was, I, I think I had two, two um, very big hit records in, in the space of, a, of, of about 10 months and and I was about to be launched into America, and I was loving my life and loving my career. And then I was—I uh, I released a song called Fairy Tale. And the very first uh, television I went to promote it, I opened my mouth to sing, and I couldn't control the voice at all. Wow. Two notes would come out instead of one. I—I I was allowed to mine, which was unheard of in those days. You had to sing everything live. And I was whisked down to London. I saw the consultant and he said he'd have to operate immediately because there was a growth where he'd cauterized the cord and he didn't know if it was um, malignant or malign. And I think in my mind, I thought it'd be the same as the previous year. I'd bounce back, you know, mm. didn't realize the seriousness. And then I came around from the operation and I saw the newspapers were down and I never sing again and... I, you know, I, I wrote down to him, typical, <laughs> you know, blowing this up. I was about to start touring Ireland, actually, which we had to cancel. So that's that's why they knew about it in the media. But he explained to me, um, no, that was a possibility because he didn't know how removing the root, therefore removing a bit of the cord, didn't know how it would affect the cord. And it affected it very um, seriously. It was almost five years before I went back to wow. normal singing. Well, wow. Well, uh, lots of uh, listeners wanting to wish you all the best. Anthony says, I'm a huge, huge fan of uh, Dana. Uh, cold, cold Christmas without you. Love that uh, song. And then there's a oh, lovely uh, text in saying, Hi Patricia, I am in tears listening to Dana. I was 12 years old when I joined her fan club and getting the club oh. newsletter and signed pictures from Dana, living in the countryside and waiting for the postman to deliver my fan club letter. What's the name? <laughs> uh, there's no name on it. It's, it's somebody who sent in a WhatsApp. There's no name on it, unfortunately, but oh. somebody saying that in tears, uh, listen, yeah, and many others saying, uh, saying particularly remembering where they were at the moment that you won. It's that particular song. OK, can you stay with us? I need to take a quick break and then I want to come back and I promise we're going to talk about the new album and we're actually going to play a track as well. So, so can you just stay on the line and stay on the line and we'll take a quick break, Dana. Martina O'Donoghue. Make C103 part of your drive home with up-to-date traffic information and local news, your input in selecting our feel-good song of the day, plus our feel-good story and as many of Cork's greatest hits that we can fit into three hours. Join me, Martina O'Donoghue, every weekday from 4 to 7. C103. We're speaking with the wonderful Dana Rosemary Scanlon, who next year will be celebrating their 50th anniversary of her Eurovision win. And she's doing it in style because she's just released a new uh, CD. Um, Dana... how many years has it been since your previous CD? Well, a, a, a CD of this type? 
Yeah. It would have been in the 80s. Wow. Now, was it nerve-wracking to go back into the studio? Oh, yes, it was. In fact, I was asked to do this album for about a year. And I just kept saying no. I I think, you know, people understand there's periods in everyone's life when you just kind of lose confidence in yourself. And you feel better just... You feel better in your home. You feel better just with people you know. And I was in that in that frame of mind. And I have wonderful nieces and nephews called the Rua. They they're, have great success in America and they're great young people. They were recording with a company called FOD, Field of Dreams. But I tell them it stands for Friends of Dana. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they wanted to record me and I just felt I couldn't do it, Patricia. And then they said, look, we have three songs and uh, two of them are written by, one by your niece, one by your nephew. Come in the studio and just try it. So we were recording in Rome, a beautiful studio in Rome, where Ennio Morricone did all of his epic recordings. Goodness. And uh, the musicians were um, from Tears for Fear and uh, Oasis, um, the Jimi Hendrix Experience, uh, Blondie, they were all musicians from big, big, big groups, super groups. Well, I, I was, honest God, I was, I, I just was so nervous going in. But was that intimidating in itself, the fact that oh, you had all of these n- these musicians? It, it was. Yeah. Because I hadn't been really singing, singing, you know. Yeah. And I hadn't been singing publicly. And yes, I was intimidated. But you know, the minute we got into the studio and started working on the songs, we were just musicians in a room. Yeah. And I was raised with musicians. And I always love working that kind of preparation and everything with musicians. And they were wonderful people. They were, nobody was worried about, I did this or I did that and I worked here. No, it was just the music. And we did the three tracks, one of which is the first, a single from the album it's called Fallen and I'm so proud of my nieces and nephews I, I'm, I'm just delighted and I wrote one song with my son Robert which was as a mother was a lovely thing to do and then they said look we love these three tracks we come back and do the completion of the album do seven more so I did and each one of them are so special to me Patricia They're so, so before special. you knew us you had an album recorded we had an album, but I never really thought about them actually releasing it. <laughs> you know, I was so into like preparing it and doing it, working in the studio and gradually gaining confidence, you know. And then the next thing we had to do was photo session. And I thought, oh, no, <laughs> I really just don't want to do that. And then just step by step. And, and now this is actually the first of major interview I've done about this is with you. Oh well, I'm so, I am delighted. We are we are honoured that we're the first because I was just going to say you now have to get out there and sell yeah. this album. And is that a part of this job? Like some people love it, others do not like it at all. You seem very comfortable today. I I have always loved being with people. I I love because most people you meet are genuine good people, and I just love that. It lifts you up, you know. So, that doesn't worry me. But it's kind of like uh, I don't know. It's, it, it, 
you have to be willing to be vulnerable to. Yeah. You know, and you accept people might hate it. <laughs> but I suppose all, all I hope is that people will just give it a chance and listen to well, it. Well, and we're, go- we're going Hopefully to play, like we're it. going to play Falling in just a moment. But a couple of people are picking up on, they remember what a great MEP you were with one listener saying, oh. does Dana miss the politics side of life? Politics is, is it's a tremendous honour for people to actually trust you with their vote and what happens in their lives. It's undoubtedly a tremendous honour. Uh, it's a very tough, tough world, politics. Yeah. And, you know, every walk of life has its challenges, you know, Patricia. But um, politics can be very vicious, very, very hard. And I think we have to be careful because most people, I think, who go into politics go in with the very best of intentions. We have to be careful that we nurture, in a way, good people to go forward and speak for the people. People who listen to the people on the ground, not to who's above them. It's terribly important that we do that. Yeah, it's a tough, tough business, I say it, because I deal with enough politicians uh, on this programme and I absolutely 100% agree. People go into politics for all of the right reasons and by God, I wouldn't take the job for all the tea in China. I think it's one of the toughest, uh, toughest jobs going. Uh, anyway, people just want to acknowledge that the people remember you and say what a fine, fine uh, politician you were. I so where, so where do you live now and where's home now? We live in Galway. Um, we've lived in Galway uh, since 1999. Um, it's actually the longest we've been in one place, one <laughs> home. Okay. And, and part of that too was, first of all, people were very good, very welcoming, no matter what their political beliefs were. They never showed it to m- my children. And, you know, I don't mind what is said to me as a mother, but you want your children to be comfortable mm. and they were very good people and um and then we wanted our children to have the stability and go through their studies and they've built friendships and you know it's important that uh, as adults as parents you really have to try as much as possible to put the needs of your children first so we're still in Galway and very happily there good good so life is good for Dan at the moment is what you're saying to us Great, great. Okay, so my time, uh, it's released on FOD uh, Records and I'm about to play Falling. Just before we go in, just tell me a bit about the song. Well, the, because my nieces and nephew, because we're very close and from they were like six years old, they were singing in the faces back and forth to, to, to Derry and to, to Donegal and um, I've watched them grow up and develop and they're great musicians. But they also are very close to me in my life. So, in a way, the songs they've written, I could have spoken the words. You know, they're, they're very, very real to me. And and there's a song also on this album written by a Swedish guy. And it's particularly, in my mind anyway, for anyone with Alzheimer's, uh, anyone who um, is dealing in their lives and loving somebody that has Alzheimer's, there's very special songs on the album for me. Okay. And there's a beautiful one. I will never let you know from uh, the the uh, series Nashville. So there's some covers in there, but the original songs, uh, although I only wrote one of them with Robert, the other ones, I literally feel like I could have, 
could have spoken the words myself. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Listen, you've sold the album really well. It's called My uh, Time uh, and this is the uh, one of the tracks. Are, are you releasing this track as a single or do, uh, does that happen anymore? I don't know myself. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out. We'll, we'll, fi- <laughs> we'll find out. But this is this yeah. is uh, Listen, Dan, it's been a real, real uh, pleasure. Thanks a million for joining us on the program, and good luck with the album. I've loved talking to you. Thanks. Thanks a million. Bye bye.
There you go. That is Dana Rosemary Scallon and that is her latest song called Falling and it's from a brand new album that has just been released and the album is called My Time. We wish her well uh, with it. I can see a lot of people, a lot of fans uh, in the area. Don't know if she's any plans to tour with it or whether it's just a release of the uh, album. Time will tell. Can I say a huge, huge thank you to Greta and the gang at Forget Me Not Flowers in Mallow who sent on a most beautiful bouquet of flowers and she reads Patricia in the cards Patricia from all your listeners to C103 and Greta at Forget Me Not Flowers thank you for that she said belated happy anniversary for the 29th last uh, Friday that is a very very kind gesture indeed and uh, I love my flowers so thank you for that uh, 1850 we are looking for your questions for Annalise Drussell on your nutritional therapist if you have a question get it into us please a lot of calls and comments coming in that we'll get through we'll take a look at them during news at 12 midday and we'll bring them to you in the next hour but just to let you know this coming Friday we have a free Santa Friday here at C103 stay listening on Friday your chance to win passes to Magical Blarney at Blarney Woolen Mills which is Cork's favourite Santa experience and it's running at Blinding Woolen Mills from November 23rd right up to Christmas Eve and if you want to check out and find out more you can you can visit MagicalBlarney.com but your chance to win family passes to Magical Blarney at Blarney Woolen Mills this Friday only on C103. There are now even more ways to listen to C103. Tune in on your radio, go online or grab our mobile app and now you can ask your smart speaker to play C103. Play C103. Okay. So you can just follow me. Try it now. Try it now. C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Questions, please, for Annalise Drussell, uh, our nutritional therapist. She'll join us after half past 12 today. If you've got a question, get it in. 1850-333-103. John Paul has taken the questions over the phone, so you can text me or WhatsApp me to 0862-103-103. Some of your thoughts and comments coming in on various topics we've been discussing. Now, this is a topic we haven't discussed, but somebody's looking for others people's opinion on this. Patricia, I was wondering, what did you and your listeners think of the interview with the late Brendan Grace's family last night on the Late Late Show? This listener says, it was appalling, in my opinion. I never witnessed anything so bad. They made a mockery of the man. How did others feel about it? (laughs) I was a bit uncomfortable in the way the interview was handled. I thought it just didn't flow properly. But then, you know, then I'm critical, but then I interview. That's part of what I do as a job. And then who am I to say that my style is better or worse than anybody else's? So I'm always very slow uh, to give actual criticism or, or comments when it comes to the style of the interview. But that particular interview, I didn't feel the style of it was correct. And that just, you know, because he was a man much loved in this country and such great stories could be told about him. And it just, it just didn't flow right for me. The one part... I was very uncomfortable with 
Well, and the family. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know the family well enough to contact them to find out did they feel anywhere uncomfortable about it. Was the bringing out of his urn when they mentioned that he had been cremated and the ashes had been divided, main urn is with his wife and all of the children have a small urn and lots of families do that and I don't, you know, I don't have a problem with that and lots of families never bury the ashes and they keep them at home and they keep them, you know, it's their way of feeling a part of the person is still with them and, you know, and so they, they'll have these mini urns and then when very early on in the interview obviously he was aware that they brought a little mini urn and it was back in the green room and will we bring it out and I just that to me now it didn't come out until the very end of the interview I was a bit uncomfortable with that but maybe that's just me maybe nobody else saw anything wrong with that to me that was just a little bit uncomfortable anyway we'll give it out and see others might have loved it might have thought it was the greatest interview ever as we were remembering the late great uh, Bernie Grace but it was very brave of the family and, and I thought it was nice of them it was a way for them to say thank you to all of the people who had been so kind because he had just he touched so many people's lives because I know when we spoke about him here on air when he passed away you know people spoke very fondly and everyone had lovely memories of a great you know gentle giant and a, a funny, funny man who touched uh, so many of us. 1850 So it's just that particular interview that was on on Friday night. OK, some of your other calls and texts coming in on different topics. Um, drink drivers and catching drink drivers and people getting caught the morning after. Uh, Pat says, Patricia, our brave guardie weren't catching enough people so they decided to hunt people down in the morning. Now, Pat is none his own when he makes this statement and I don't think the guardie... Anyway, this is Pat's view. He said, and then they've the cheek to ask people to help them solving crimes. Well, you can't blame individual guardie because an individual guardie will be sent out and told this is where you have to set up your drink driving checkpoint. I know it sticks in the craw of a lot of people when they feel that they're being targeted and that would guardie not be better off doing something else but of course part of the Gardaí's remit is to keep our roads safer for all of us and if that means getting drunk drivers off the roads then you know it will keep us uh, safer Hi Patricia I've got a cataract in my eye and I can't drive at night because of it what would you think of a minibus going from Canturk to the Hazel Tree on Friday nights so that people could go dancing could you get any help on that if any, uh, yeah and no doubt you'd fill it as well because there would be people like yourself who can't drive You've, that's a medical reason why you can't drive and hopefully you're on the list to get your cataract s- sorted out and it won't be long before you're able to drive at night but it would also it would help out people who perhaps don't have transport or people who would maybe like to go to the hazel tree there's dancing on is there on a Friday night and have a bit of a dance and have a drink at the same time and not have to worry about driving home so if locally somebody in the Canturk area wants to organise a mini bus I'm sure you know there could be a little bit of a job out of it for somebody if anybody will throw it out there one listener suggesting it 1850 333 103 on the Healy Rays and their suggestion well it was Danny Healy Rays uh, suggestion Martin Infomoy says Mr Danny Healy Ray should get a gold medal for being the biggest gombean and that's Martin Infomoy who used another word which, which I'm not going to use but anyway Martin Infomoy not a fan basically of Danny Healy Ray. Tim says the fear of being burgled keeps single elderly people at home also. Has a guard that ever breathalyzed a burglar? Three out of four burglars go unsolved while the guard are breathalyzing motorists says Tim. Again back to that issue of saying should the guard the focus of their attention be on other things uh, instead. 
We don't need masses, says another listener. It's a money-making racket. They should be looking after the homeless. The church will say they do a lot of work with the homeless. But the listener is saying, get rid of all the masses and instead, and actually there's a number of other people said that, made that same point. If we are going to be closing down churches, which is looking like it, we can't get young men to take up vacations. It doesn't look like the Vatican in any way is going to budge on allowing married men to become priests or allowing women to become priests. If we don't have priests, it's the uh, the answer seems to be we'll close some of the churches. Certainly that's what the Bishop of Ossory is saying. He's cutting down on the masses. He's cutting his cloth to his measure. He has X number of priests and he's too many churches. So he's saying, right, we're going to scrap masses. 42 masses are being cancelled from the permanently from the 1st of December. There's no sign of young people heading in to become, taking up vocations to become priests. So, and And you know, what's interesting is when I was talking with Father Roy and he was saying all of this change that's needed got discussed and, and got decided in Vatican II. Vatican II was in 1962. We nearly 60 years ago since Vatican II. So they knew back in the 60s that this problem was coming down the track but they haven't really done uh, anything about it. Uh, Texter says, Patricia, just stay on this topic. Um, anyway, sorry, the reason that I deviated there was the number of people who have said that if they are going to close down these big churches and if they're you know no longer going to be used for mass and they're going to ask people if you want to continue being a practice of Catholic then you go to the nearest town or village your church is closing number of people are saying that could they be used in some way to house the homeless now there will be a lot of work would have to go in to changing a church and make it any kind of accommodation for homeless people. Hi Patricia, so sad that the crowds of Sunday Mass seem to be less and less every Sunday. But I just want to mention an unnamed parish and a new priest who should remain unnamed. He was appointed recently and his attitude towards altar service, readers, ministers of the Eucharist has been appalling. He's angered and upset some people already and he's only in the door. I think this priest should think of how he treats these people who, after all, are only volunteers. And it is the kindness of these people and children that are helping to keep the church alive for the future. Well said, well said. And you are right, without volunteers, like the altar service, like the ministers of the Eucharist, like the readers, the church would simply collapse. It's all... Since the Catholic Church started, it's relied heavily on volunteers and people of practising Catholics who want to give something back to the church and get involved and they get involved in the parish council and they help to clean the church and people form choirs and they sing at church and it's so much of it is done on volunteerism. That priest, if he is upsetting people the way this texter is saying, would really want to wake up and smell the coffee. And my initial reaction when I read the text was go to the parish council but of course he heads up the parish council doesn't he? It's very, How do you complain? How do you get a new priest to understand that he's upsetting people, he's angering people with his attitude? I don't, I don't have specific examples as to what he's doing but it seems like he's upsetting enough people, whatever kind of an attitude he's arrived to the church to this new parish with. I don't know I don't know what chip that man has on his shoulder, but it certainly looks like something needs to be done about it. I don't know if that's happened in other parishes where a new priest comes and just doesn't settle in. And I accept that there will always have to be a settling in period. I don't know how long he's there. And if a much loved priest has been moved on, it can sometimes be hard 
for a new priest to settle in. But I don't, I get the feeling from this text that that's not the case. It isn't that, you know, oh, no one's going to be as good as Father Tim, who's just left kind of thing. This seems to be the appointment of a new priest and his attitude. And in particular, his attitude towards the people who are helping out at Mass. The very ones that he should be looking after and looking after with great kindness. He doesn't seem to be doing that. 1850 if anybody has advice for that particular parish, because as I say, I'm sure it is not the first time it's happened that a new priest has come in and for some reason decided to rock the boat for his own reason, I'm assuming. But as I say, I don't know what that reason is. Uh, John Paul has taken your calls. Lines have been busy, by the way, particularly if you're trying to get through with the question for Annalise. Keep those uh, coming. You can always text or WhatsApp if you're not getting through on the phones. Uh, 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. There is a fundraising dance in the Charleville Park Hotel tonight at nine. Music is by Dermot Lines and proceeds are going to Sister Concilia Treatment Centre which is in Brewery. Cardiac Support Group in North Cork are having their annual general meeting 8 o'clock in the Daycare Centre in Mallow. The group is representative of all North Cork new members and anybody interested in promoting this group all welcome to attend. Bandon Flower and Garden Club are presenting a flower arranging demonstration by Geraldine Crowley of IFA in the Munster Arms Hotel tonight at 8. Visitors are very welcome. And social afternoon in Toker Community Centre today between 2 and 4pm. Refreshments will be served, teas and coffees, live music by Joan O'Leary. Admission is €4, Euro, dancing in a fun social atmosphere. And tickets are now on sale for Music of the Night. It's a Christmas concert featuring Ryan Morgan, Derek Ryan and Anne Lenahan, which will be held in the Church of the Nativity in Donnerwell on Friday next, the 22nd of November. Tickets are on sale from Centra in Donnerwell, Donnerwell Golf Club, and proceeds are going towards the upkeep of both churches in Donnerwell. And also proceeds uh, will go to the juvenile training at the Donnerwell Golf Club. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Okay, and a couple of people on the Late Late Show interview with the Brendan Graces, the late Brendan Graces family. Tommy and Carrie Galine says, I agree. I felt that the interview with the Grace family stopped and started. I'm not sure if they were under pressure for time or what was it. It felt like they were under some kind of pressure. Uh, but wasn't happy with the interview either. And Catherine says, the interview with Brendan Grace's family, I didn't like it. It was awful, says Catherine. And I felt bringing the urn was really spooky. It just didn't feel right, says Catherine. Well, I don't... Spooky isn't the word I would use, but I I just... (laughs) didn't make me feel comfortable for sure for sure uh, I think yeah maybe spooky maybe that's the word um, Pat in Ballantasic this is on, on the bus when somebody suggested could anybody organise the bus or could we get involved in organising a bus from Canturk to go to the Hazel Tree in Mallow for the dancing on a Friday night wouldn't that be a great idea Pat in Ballantasic was on straight away to said I'd be in favour of a bus coming from Ballantasic to the Hazel Tree in Mallow as well there would be a big take for that as many would love to go to these dances social dancing have a pint at the same time but you can't anymore due to the new laws I think as well what's needed is a bit of initiative locally is for people to get together themselves get on to a local bus company and see if they're see if they're available get a price on it ring around I mean it's a bit of work in it but I think if you got it going and it became a regular thing it was the it's initially to get it going 
and to find out what kind of an interest you have locally. But it's going to take somebody to do the organising of it and get onto a local company. But I think there's money to be made. I think there's a business there. Not money to be made, but well, the money for the bus companies. But certainly I think there is a business there. I think there are people who would love to be going out more and if they had a rural bus uh, service. Colin in Kenturk says, I feel school buses could be the ones that are not used at the are, are other public buses that are not used at the weekends they should be used to bring people to and from these dances actually I was passing a secondary school at the weekend and my young niece who uh, was with me was saying to me why, why, why are all the buses parked there and they were all the school line of school buses and I said they're the school buses and they were just and they, it struck me yeah they, it does seem like such a waste they obviously dropped everybody home after school on Friday and then they returned back to base and base obviously for the weekend for this particular area was outside, parked outside the secondary school and here was a line of maybe five or six big buses and mini buses all parked up. Now they've got all the school logo, you know, the school bus logos on them. But that has been mentioned before, that has been put forward as a suggestion that why are we not, we have a fleet of buses that lie idle from about six o'clock I suppose by the time they're back to base on a Friday and they lie idle until probably seven o'clock on a Monday morning, could they not be used over the weekend? Absolutely would agree with you. On breath testing and getting stopped. Hi, I drove from Doro to Mill Street on Saturday night. Now it doesn't say what time it was at and not a checkpoint in sight says this texter. 1850 Patricia, could you please say thank you to everybody involved in Mornabi's ICA's Mad Hatter's Tea Party yesterday. We had a great day and we raised vital funds for Leem's Lifts. Thank you to uh, all and that's a terrific service, Leem's Lifts. So well done and we're glad to hear that everybody enjoyed uh, enjoyed your afternoon out. 1850-333-103. Marion in Clonakilty says, I had that same feeling watching the interview with Brendan Grace's family. It was uncomfortable TV viewing and I felt Ryan was a bit glib about bringing out the urn. Yeah, uh, thanks to Patricia for this. She's saying what we're all feeling. Uh, yeah, yeah, uncomfortable. Yeah, I was, yeah, I sort of shifted in my seat a little bit because saying, please don't do this. Please don't bring out the urn. There really is of no need for it at all. Now, thank you for that. To the priest who, a listener texted in saying that they have a new priest has come into the parish and he just seems to be rubbing people up the wrong way and upsetting people. Somebody says, knock on his door and tell him face to face. Something very similar happened in our parish, says this texter, years ago when a new priest changed a, a, a tradition, a tradition that had been in the parish obviously for many, many years. I went to his house and I told him it was reversed the following year. Talking about it is pointless. Action is needed. Well done. But it takes somebody very brave to do what you did and, and kudos to you and a Pat on, pat on the back for you and I'm sure there was a lot of people in the parish were delighted that you did it and a lot of people felt the need that they should do it but weren't able to do it. It just takes somebody very brave but you're right, maybe go with somebody else if you're feeling a little bit uncomfortable but I think in the case of the text that we've, we had in, we've had in what's a little bit different is it's this man, this priest's attitude it's his attitude towards altar servers readers and the Minister of the Eucharist it's been described as, as appalling. In your case 
it's a priest who comes in and completely changes the tradition that was in place. So that's easier when it's a tradition as you can point it out to say it's always been done this way. Everyone is happy with it being done this way. You can hear somebody's views as to why they think they want to change it and then you can put forward your views as to why it should stay the same. You know, and you can have a discussion. But when it's somebody's attitude, is that slightly different? I mean, how do you face somebody down to say your attitude is appalling? Wonderful. If you... It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Could be brave enough to do it, but that's a, it's a slightly tricky one. It's a slightly tricky one. But you are right. The man does, the priest does need to be confronted in somehow. How you do that, I don't know. I certainly don't have the answer to that one. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And Annalise Drussell of the Health Hub Times Square in Ballincollig joining us. Good afternoon to Annalise. Good afternoon. And you are very welcome. Questions for Annalise, please. 1850-333-103 and you can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Let's go straight into questions. Bridie says, any advice, please, for low sodium? Um, so, now, that's an interesting one, actually, because it depends whether the low sodium is coming as a result of a low sodium diet or if it's coming as a result of a kidney issue where the too much sodium is being dumped. I suppose the first thing you need to look at in um, diet, I mean, we do need salt in our diet. And uh, a lot of the time people are trying to be very, very healthy and cut out salt from their diet and end up with cramps, uh, which is often a, a, um, a result of low sodium. It's, uh, in a way, it's kind of dehydration because dehydration isn't just a lack of water. It's also a lack of the electrolytes that our bodies need to transmit nerve impulses and for the muscles to contract and relax. So there's um, a school of thought that think that what we should do every day is drink six glasses of water and at least. And each time that we drink that glass of water, that we put a crystal of um, sea salt or Himalaya salt on our tongues. And that's what we require in order of providing our body with enough water and also with enough electrolytes. So Salt, natural salt from the sea or from the, the rock mines is a very good source of a good balance of sodium, potassium, magnesium, 
chloride. It might have a bit of calcium in there as well. So it's a good balance of all the electrolytes, whereas the table salt that we tend to buy in the shop is only sodium chloride. Um, so I suppose take that advice, you know, make add some salt into the diet, not in the form of the table salt yeah. or in, in the form of salty foods like bacon and cabbage and um, crisps and salted peanuts. Make sure that it's sea salt. Add a little bit to your food and that would be the first thing. And then make sure you're not taking too many diuretics that would cause kidneys to dump salt, which would be diuretics often mainly would be caffeine from tea and coffee. Um, but maybe take a look at medication and medication could be causing it as well. Mary and Killer says uh, Anne-Lee's last week spoke about, is it biotin? Biotin? Yes. 500. Biotin 500. Um, Annalise also mentioned another supplement to find out the underlying problem. What was that supplement? I'm on biotin and I'm on the new I'm on the new era mineral tissue salt. Both of these together, but my hair is still very limp, flat and thin. Okay, so um, the other underlying causes can be thyroid, Patricia, for for thinning hair. That's a really common symptom of the thyroid. So your thyroid gland produces a thyroid hormone that revs up your metabolism in order to produce heat or to produce extra energy. And when it is low, when the thyroid isn't producing enough hormone, the symptoms would be thinning hair, particularly eyebrows as well. So if you're missing the outer part of your eyebrows, that's a real sign of thyroid, uh, low thyroid function. Also, feeling tired all the time, feeling sluggish, feeling cold a lot, uh, having cold hands and feet. And also the whole digestive system being slow and sluggish as well, so suffering from constipation. Now, some people actually do have a low thyroid and they take the medication and they don't feel much better. And this can be more an indicator that you're not converting the thyroid hormone that you're taking into the active form within cells. And this can be down to a deficiency of selenium, which is a mineral that's required to convert thyroid hormone into the active form required by cells. So selenium would be found naturally in Brazil nuts. So if people want to make sure they're getting plenty of selenium in the diet, nuts and seeds are a great way of doing it. But about six Brazil nuts should provide you with your daily requirement for selenium. So you could add those to your diet or take it as a supplement. So that would be another underlying cause of low uh, of thinning hair. And then, of course, there's the hormonal reason as well, Patricia. So a lot of women would have experienced thinning hair during pregnancy or after pregnancy. And also during menopause, hair can thin and can also change consistency from kind of nice, luxurious hair to kind of wiry, drier hair. So um, sometimes um, if it's hormonal, taking a natural plant-based hormone could help. So you're looking at the, the plant estrogens um, called soya, that, sorry, called isoflavones that often come from soya or from things like flax seeds. You'll get them in any health store. So taking um, a natural hormone supplement might help if the cause is hormonal. Okay, question for Annalise, please. Any alternative to calcium? Found it very hard to digest, so I stopped taking them. Yeah, so the calcium in the calcium, Patricia, is, um, sorry, one moment, excuse me. <laughs> Sorry, Patricia, I have this cough that everyone seems to have. Yeah, hard to shake, yeah. And talking seems to exacerbate it. Um, So, yes, calcium chew is made from calcium carbonate, which actually is chalk. And that can be very difficult to digest and absorb. So taking a different form of calcium would be a better option. And something like calcium citrate is a nice natural um, type of calcium that's very easy on the stomach 
and also much easier to absorb. So most supplements in a health shop will have calcium in a citrate form. So if you go in and discuss with the, your local health store the best one, you also need to look for something that has vitamin D in it because vitamin D is required to absorb our calcium. Also, vitamin K2 is a nice new one that has been added to a lot of supplements. And that's because the research shows that vitamin K2 can help your body take the calcium and actually lay it down upon the bone. Vitamin K2 is also very important for preventing calcium hardening in um, the arteries. So one of the problems with taking high doses of calcium, Patricia, I believe, is that if it's not laid down on bone, it can actually harden the cholesterol that's deposited in arteries and it forms this hardened plaque. And if that plaque that breaks off, that's when you get a heart attack or stroke. So vitamin K2 can prevent that from, um, you know, that plaque from forming, but can make sure it get the calcium is put where it needs to be put. Boron is also another mineral and magnesium. They're Both of those are also very important for um, laying down bone. And of course, vitamin C hugely important for collagen and people don't realize but the bone actually needs to be quite elastic so the calcium is laid down upon this collagen matrix and that gives the bone the elasticity so that when you hit it it's not brittle and it doesn't shatter so a good bone supplement ideally will have all of those Okay, talking of your own cough, a listener says, my mother has an awful cough. She's just, she is also talking about being frozen with the cold and aches and pains. Can Annalise help, please, as the doctor won't treat, and I'm assuming the doctor won't treat the awful cough. There are lots of coughs and bugs going around, and I, I'm assuming the doctor won't treat in that the doctor doesn't want to give an antibiotic, which is probably right, because antibiotics don't always work, do they, for coughs? No, well, a cough is a virus. So an antibiotic will never deal with a virus. An antibiotic will only deal with bacteria. But what can happen with the virus of the cough is that um, your body produces a lot of mucus and then that mucus can actually become infected by the bacteria. So that is when an antibiotic would be required. And signs of that would be a lot of mucus coming up from your chest, green or brownie in colour. And if that's not shifting after a couple of days, then you really probably do need an antibiotic to get rid of it. But the virus, um, there's natural antivirals that are better for fighting the cough virus. And they are things like elderberry extract. Um, vitamin C and zinc are very important as well. I think everybody in Ireland now at this point should be on a vitamin D until the clocks change again next April because vitamin D is really important in the winter months for your immune system. Other things that are great natural antivirals are the beta-glucans that we get from mushroom extract. Now, the Chinese have used mushrooms in medicine for over 3,000 years, um, and they are very, very powerful. So um, that's what I'm trying at the moment now, Patricia, for my own self, because I'm finding it really, I'm, I'm nearly 90% over it, but that 10% just will not happen. So I'm taking uh, a combination of the olive leaf extract, which I think is great um, as a as a tonic, really, and as a natural antibacterial antiviral. And I'm taking an extract of mushrooms designed to sort of boost the antiviral fighting side of your immune system. So hopefully that will do it. And, and that, for, will, uh, that I'm assuming as well will work for Catherine, who says, how do I stop my cold and cough turning into a chest infection? Because that's what's been happening in the past. So that yes, advice would work there as well. That advice would work there. I think what I always think as the first line of defence, Patricia, is your vitamin C and zinc and echinacea is wonderful as well. Ivy and thyme, brilliant if there's a lot of mucus to dry it up. So um, that's what I always would start on would be the Dr. Dealish Clare 
Um, it used to be called the chest and sinus blend. She's changed the name of it now to mucotone. And that's a combination of all of those herbs that I mentioned for the immune boosting and drying up the mucus. Tastes awful, but it's great. Oh, t- exactly. It really does work. And then if it's a sticky one that's not shifting at the end, then I would try the olive leaf extract possibly and the beta-glucans from mushroom extract. Okay. Hi, Annalise. What would be best to take to reduce bloating for IBS and to help with constipation due to irritable bowel syndrome? I do not eat gluten, dairy, soya due to allergies and intolerance. I take a Florex, 3-phenyl tea, a multivitamin, drink a lot of water, I eat small meals and I do use slippery alum tablets before I eat a meal. So it looks like really trying to do the right thing, but it's this bloating and then the constipation. Yeah, so I suppose it's a difficult one, Patricia, because there isn't, it's not the same answer for everybody. Now, it looks like this lady has identified a lot of her intolerances and that can be often a root cause of constipation. Most people, when they think of irritable bowel, they think of diarrhea. But actually, I would find that most of my customers with irritable bowel are suffering with constipation. And that lady mentioned she was taking Alcerex. I find from experience, the Alcerex is wonderful for people who've got IBS diarrhea, but it's not as good for people who suffer from constipation. It doesn't seem to have the same benefit. So I think for this particular lady, she might benefit from a digestive enzyme. She seems to have identified her food intolerances, so nothing more can be done there. That's nearly always the first step. The second thing would be then maybe that you are not breaking your food down efficiently. And what you need for that is good, strong um, stomach acid that helps to digest proteins in your stomach for about four hours before they're released down into the intestine. And if that has been... Um, if that's weak, Patricia, if you're not producing enough of it, or if you're taking an acid blocker, um, then that would mean that you wouldn't be digesting your proteins efficiently. And then they can become very clay-like because they rot in your gut, and that can contribute to constipation. Now, this lady is taking Slippery M. That doesn't prevent stomach acid being produced, so it may or may not be her problem. And then in that case, I would recommend a digestive enzyme. So the digestive enzyme will do some work in the stomach, but will very much then work in the small intestine to help break down the fats and the proteins and the carbohydrates. And if they're not being broken down, bacteria can cause ferment those and putrefy those and cause a lot of wind. So if the bloating, that tends to be a, probably a, an issue with fermentation, so you're producing a lot of gas. Taking something like activated charcoal can actually get rid of the bloating. Um, and also if you've got a lot of wind, if you have to go out, For a social event, it's a great one to take before you eat and after you eat because it means that you'll be less bloated and less windy. It's not fixing the problem, but it definitely helps with the symptom. Okay, hi there. Could you ask Annalise, please, what she thinks about the ketogenic diet? So the ketogenic diet has become very fashionable, Patricia, and it is basically where you put your body into a state of ketosis. You're forcing your body to burn fat as a fuel because you're depriving it of all carbohydrate. Now, mostly your body will run on glucose and your brain will also need glucose. So one of the problems with the ketogenic diet, certainly when you start it off, is that you can get quite headachey. And because you're not taking in a lot of carbohydrates, you can end up getting very constipated because there's very little fiber in your diet. It can work very well for some people, Patricia. You'll always lose a lot of weight in the first week or two on the ketogenic diet because you're actually getting rid of a lot of stored water. So it's not true weight loss. It's not actually fat burning. So... um, 
that's one of the things I would say that it seems to work really well but as soon as you eat carbohydrates you're going to put that water back into storage with the carbs again so like I've done it myself to try it and I lost five pounds I think in the space of 10 days but as soon as I went back to my normal diet the following day I put back on four of the pounds yeah yeah so I really only lost one for some people who are pre-diabetic, it can help because what you're doing is um, taking the carbohydrate out so you're not getting the same spikes in blood sugar. And some studies have shown that people who do um, a, diet, a low carbohydrate or ketogenic diet can, um, can, can um, efficiently lose weight over a period of time. And they don't tend to fall off the wagon as much because you're eating a lot of high fat foods. So you don't feel so hungry. You're not depriving yourself like of meat and cheese. I would question the long-term health of it, Patricia. We need lots of vitamins and minerals in our vegetables. And with the ketogenic diet, you're very, very much depriving your body of those vegetables. I would much prefer to see somebody do a low-carbohydrate diet where they are cutting out the grains like bread and pasta and rice and potatoes because we can get all of the vitamins and minerals that we need from vegetables and plenty fibre too while depriving your body of a lot of, you know, the sources of carbohydrates. So that would be a much healthier way, in my view, of doing it, would be just cutting those grains out of your diet, but making sure that you've lots and lots of vegetables. Okay, some of the calls in. Marie and Formoy said, I have got the Dr. Delish Clare Relax Blend. Can I add something to it or dilute it with something as it's a tough drink to take on its own with the smell and the taste? So could you put it into something? You could, of course, absolutely. I mean, it's really just about getting it into you. So if you wanted to add it to a little bit of juice, that's fine. Mix it with a bit of water. Um, you take a teaspoon of it generally is the, the, is the dose. I personally prefer just to get it into me and then swallow something afterwards. Uh, but you can dilute no problem it. mixing yeah. it with anything that you want. Mary says, is seaweed salad or dried seaweed, is that good to use instead of salt? Yeah, it's excellent to use instead of salt because it's a lovely balance of vitamins and minerals. It's also very high in iodine, which is wonderful for the thyroid gland. Um, A lot of our soils in Ireland are depleted in iodine. But actually also, Patricia, I was just looking at leeks the other day. I normally, when you get leeks, you have to give them a good wash. There wasn't any mud on these leeks. So I think more and more of our vegetables are being grown now in water. So they could be very much deficient in iodine and that really is important for a healthy thyroid. Seaweed is a wonderful way of getting it into your diet and you can get seaweed sprinkles in a salt shaker from the health shop and you can use that on your food instead of salt so you get the best of both worlds. So get excited if you see muddy vegetables, is that what you're saying? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I'd much rather see something dirty. At least I know it's been grown in yeah, the ground. And, you, and then you could just uh, clean it off. Uh, hi, Annalise. What would you recommend instead of taking Nexium for acid reflux and heartburn? I have been diagnosed with a hiatus hernia. Thanking you, says Noreen. Oh, gosh. So the hiatus hernia is where part of the stomach starts to protrude up through the diaphragm. Ouch. Yeah, it's very painful. And also the acid reflux can be a big issue with that. So to deal with the acid reflux, I'd recommend two things. The first one is the Slippery M. One of your earlier listeners uh, earlier on in the program, she takes that. And it's a great way of dealing with um, excess acid because what it's a very kind of mucilage type of a, a, of a uh, herb and it coats your whole esophagus and stomach with this lovely thick coating that will protect it from the acid. So you still get a good release of acid, which benefits your digestion. It also helps to acidify things like calcium and iron, which is very important to help you absorb them. So you're not blocking prob- you know, any, any problem. You're not 
causing any problems with digestion and absorption by using slippery elm. It's also very soothing and, and there's properties in it that will heal and it also does act as a fibre. The second thing I'd add would be something called zinc carnosin and it's spent, spelled C-A-R-N-O-Z-I-N. And that is very good to help the mucous membranes in the stomach to produce a good mucus lining, but also it helps to tighten that little valve so you don't get the, the, muc- the, the acid being pushed up um, in th- into, the, you know, into the esophagus and causing that burn. Some of the signs of reflux, Patricia, would be having that very, very dry cough, you know, that um, comes upon you. So it's like a non-productive cough. It's not coming from your chest then. It's coming from your stomach. And I find the zinc carnosin is wonderful for that. It can clear it up within the space of a month or two. So it really is working to tighten up that little muscle at the top to prevent the acid from leaking up. Mary wants to know, is beetroot juice beneficial? Beetroot juice is fabulous for a number of different things, Patricia. I'm a big fan of it and beetroot in general. So um, I suppose just in terms of general health, it's a great source of iron and it's a great source of potassium. So it's very good for you know building healthy blood and it's also very good for, for keeping um, your electrolytes stable in your body. Um, it's also very good um, in terms of the natural pigments that make it purple are very, very heart-healthy pigments. So they're great to keep, um, to, to prevent heart disease. And then the last thing that beetroot juice is very high in is something called nitric acid. Nitric acid is a vasodilator, so it helps to keep our blood vessels nice and open. A lot of um, sports people would actually use beetroot juice as a performance enhancer because because it opens up the blood vessels it allows more blood to circulate through the body and get to muscle tissue when they're exercising so they're not hitting the wall as early they're able to get more nutrients and oxygen around their body so they can last longer so it's a lovely natural performance enhancer that's obviously not illegal yet okay <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you for that. And actually, one of our listeners says, uh, Patricia, I would recommend for Annalise and her cough, uh, or that tickly cough that you can't shake off, Bronco Stop, the cough pastilles. Have you ever tried those? They're fantastic. They are great. And actually, there's a lovely other one, Comvita, do a lovely one with Manuka honey as well, and they're great, great too. All right. Listen, we'll let you get on with it. Thank you for thank that. Thank you, Patricia. And uh, thanks. It's, it's tough when you've got a cough like that, so we appreciate Annalise on her slot today. That's Annalise from the Health Hub Times Square in Balancholic. And apologies that we only got to a fraction of the many, many questions that come in. It's probably one of the most popular slots that we do over the entire uh, week. But that's where I've got to leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for uh, producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. We will be back with you at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. Wrap up warm. It is a cold, cold afternoon out there. So stay warm. Talk to you tomorrow at 10. Here at C103, we're giving away shopping vouchers worth a total of €5,000. €5,000. C103's Christmas Covered is your chance to win a €500 one-for-all voucher. So you can enjoy a free festive shopping spree. Listen at 9, 2 and 5 every day to count the Christmas bells. Then text or WhatsApp the total amount for your chance to win. Save our number. 0862103103. C103's Christmas Covered. With Dennis and Mary Ryan Bishopstown, where the new 2020 C5 Aircross has arrived. Open seven days. See Ryan's.ie. Listen at 9, 2 and 5. Count the bells and you could win. Starts Monday. Only on C103. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.